um, is that, and I'm going to go through some things, and some of the stuff you're not going to get, that's okay. Uh, because what I'm doing is I'm showing a principle because I think a lot of times people start thinking, I can't do this. Because I've told stories of things of what I do, well, I can't do that. I'm going to show you, yes, you can. And I'm going to give you uh, examples of it um, if we can get our clickers going. Uh, on that. And then next week, so I'm really going to wrap up the money part this week, although I'm going to be dealing with it next week also. But next week is going to go, because remember I've, I've talked about how we think is a very big component of our money. But I'm going to do that totally on the, the biblical side. And we're going to break down, there we go. And we're going to break down some, uh, some elements of it on the biblical side uh, because uh, Ralph does a uh, great job on talking about, he goes into it more in depth than I do uh, on Sundays uh, on what the tithe is, how the offering is and everything like that. But really everything comes back to the heart. And so I'm really going to deal with the heart of the money because your heart is affecting your natural money also. E even if you're not trying to do it God's way, you've created doctrines based on your heart. And so I'm going to show uh, what God's way is about that. So uh, I want to bring this back. This was a slide I had in our first one. 80% Money is 80% behavior, 20% head knowledge. It's what you do, not what you know. And this is, this is something I want to stress, 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 stress. Because people are trying to figure out the mathematics of it and everything else. But we are our own problems. The decisions that we make during the day, the behaviors that we have. And uh, have you ever been tight on money and you're driving down the street, but you just decide you had to get that hamburger or that fufu coffee or, or something like that. You spent money you really didn't have. That's behavior. Yeah. We know we should do better, but we don't do it. And that you can even sit in a class like this that I've talked about, this probably about the fourth or fifth week, something like that. And yeah, I should do that. Yeah, you know what? I got to get better at this. But then we don't. But money is 80% behavior. And uh, this is a Dave Ramsey quote uh, that he says all the time. I went over this. And I, I want to bring this part back because this is so true, is we live in our comfort zone. This is the biggest problem that we have. We do what we know. This is why the Bible says that a dog will return to its vomit, uh, because it goes back to what it knows. And uh, in this comfort zone, you will live exactly the way you are if you stay in the comfort zone. The problem with getting out of the comfort zone is that the next zone is the fear zone. I don't know what's going to happen. I've never been there before. I've never done this before. What if it doesn't work? What if it costs me money? Probably will as you learn and as you grow. But if you never step out of the comfort zone, you're never going to get any place. This also happens in the, fear, in the faith arena. A lot of people continue to exercise their faith in their comfort zone. Faith puts you out into a place where, do I really believe this is going to happen? I think it's Smith Wigglesworth that said, you got to get so far out, it's only God that can get you back. But, but see, that's right in the middle of the fear zone. But in the fear zone, once you go through it, and actually probably while you're in the fear zone, you move into the learning zone. The only reason that we, if somebody in here, you know, maybe except for Liz, if somebody was in here, uh, you know, the only reason we wouldn't cut you open if you had appendicitis attacks and pull your appendix out is because we don't know how. <laughs> and if we handed you a knife and said, do this, we'd probably say, no, I can't do that. Why? Because we're in the fear zone. Why are we in the fear zone? Because, you know, there's a lot of people that know how to do that. They just grab the knife, cut open, sterilize things, pinch things off, cut things up. 
wipe things up, sew them back together, and they're on their way. Now get them to the hospital and let them clean them up a little bit. But why? Because they know what they're doing. The only reason money is weird to us is because um, schools don't teach it. You are never exposed to learning about money unless you purposely apply yourself to learn money, which as a young kid, I was interested in it. So I think when I was 14, I, I subscribed to Money Magazine. I mean, yeah, I'm a, I'm a geek. And, uh, um, and, and so I learned the language. I learned the concepts. And it was interesting to me, but most people are not interested in doing that. Therefore, they don't know. But once you start learning, now you can move into growth. This is where God wants us to live. God's a big multi-generational thinker. Uh, his creative, creativity is way beyond what we can think. He wants to do great things through us. But if we're sitting in the comfort zone, he's limited on what he can do. Does that make sense? Yes. It, is, it is hard. Uh, Robert Kiyosaki uh, one of his quotes I'm going to bring back, it's not how much money you make. So don't, don't say, well, I'm going to fix the income. Well, I don't make enough money. It's not how much money you make, but how much money you keep, how hard it works for you, and how many generations you keep it for. Now, stop. Let's take that. Get rid of the idea of I don't make enough money because I'm going to show you how you can start uh, with little amounts of money. Okay? But, but let's walk through there. But how much money you keep. See, and I'm going to get to, to, we have income coming in, we have expenses going out, we create, and some expenses you have to have, you got to have electricity, you got to have gas, you know, but, but we create a lot of expenses that we don't have to have. So how much money do you keep? Okay, now with what I keep, how hard does that money work for me? See, most people are working hard for money but the key is get money working hard for you. You know how many hours a day money will work? 24. You know how many days a year money will work? 365. It never needs a vacation. So if I can get money bringing more money in instead of my labor bringing more money in, now I'm getting to a position that I will cross a path to where what's coming in from my money working is greater than what my labor is working. Now I have choices. Because if I have enough money from my money working hard, God, God speaks to you, say, get up right now, drive up to Fresno, buy a ticket to, um, you know, some weird place and a long ways away an international flight and go right there right now. Well, first thing we'd say is, well, well, you know, we're inside the 21-day window. That's going to be expensive. And, and I've got all these things that I need to do. Time and money is going to start battling us. But once you're in a place where money is working for you, now you have more time. Because money doesn't go on vacation. You don't have, remember when I went through taxation, understanding what kind of business. The investor is where you want to be because you don't have to show up or the big business. That's harder to get into. Uh, where you have a lot of people working for you and you don't have to show up there. So we, we've got to break our thinking pattern. So how, how hard is it working for you? Now, here's an interesting one. How many generations will you keep it for? See, most people don't think about that. Most people, even when they get to um, life insurance, and this is the way that a lot of uh, insurance agents sell it, is, okay, uh, 
basically what we're doing is just replacing your income. So how, how many, talking to the husband, how many years do you want your wife to still have this $30,000 income? Okay, I want her to have it for 10 years. After that, she, she, she should have things figured out. Okay, so there's 300,000. Are you wanting to leave any money to your kids? Uh, no, man, I had to come up hard there. Give them $10,000. Okay, $10,000 a piece. You need 300 and uh, where I'm at now, 20. And they go down the list and they go, okay, this is how much you need. And then they see how much it costs. And they say, well, can we cut it back a little bit? And uh, because I don't want to pay that much out. But do you know that you can change, like, like what Tammy and I went through, we're sitting, you know, pretty decent right now, but what we went through in the 37, 38 years of marriage, um, We've, we've eaten hot dogs for prolonged periods of time. Uh, we've, we, we've had to scrimp and scrape. There, there's been times of really hard stuff. I don't want the girls to go through that. So if I, can, if I can leave them with an inheritance where they don't have to do that, well, one of the inheritances that I can leave them is life insurance proceeds. I can change their life. Would it have changed your life if somebody left you $500,000 or something? It's not that high. Um, <laughs> you're, you're getting real estate, okay? Um, but would it have changed your life, do you think, if somebody would have helped you out like that? Well, you can change the legacy of your family if you set up. Now, they will get life insurance, but really they're going to get income-producing assets that will, if they, if they learn how to utilize it, that they can have income streams coming in the rest of their life. So how long, how many generations uh, is your money going to work for you? Now, does anybody know a verse on that? Do we have a Bible verse on that? A wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Okay, except it's a good man. Uh, but good or wise, probably the same thing. A good man leaves an inheritance, not for his kids, for his children's children, his grandkids. So, so God is obviously not talking to us about trying to make us broke. Man, he wants a tenth of my, I can't do that. It goes back to the honor. We don't honor God, what Ralph was talking about. And man, if I give offerings, I can't do it. No, God is trying to get us in a place where we can do it. And this is where we have to change our, our thinking patterns. All right, so last week uh, I talked the, the building blocks of where to start. So I'm just going to rehearse this and we're going to pick up off of it. Number one, you got to get your end of life documents together. Um, man, be, be nice to your family so that they don't have to uh, try to figure out what they do now, where things are at, and everything like that. Put your end of life document. What are your end of life documents? I talked about it health directives, uh, wills, or, or trust. Um, uh, you know, power of attorneys, have everything together that if it's, if it's needed, it's there. Life insurance, uh, nobody shouldn't have life, in, uh, nobody should not have life insurance, especially if you have a family or kids. And if you're single, and it's another thing, you say, well, what about the people that's going to take, you know, bury me? And it's their problem, not yours. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you don't want to leave people strapped. I mean, get something small so you don't put a burden on somebody or they don't just throw you off in a ditch. Um, <laughs> Then we talked about budgets. Now, th this is one I really want to. Can I ask you guys a question? How many went home? It's been two weeks now and figured out where you're at with income and outgo that's going out to try to determine, do I have more money? We got one, two, three. Okay, four, five. Okay, because you've got to know where you're at. A lot of people don't want to know where they're at because they're going to see they're not in a good place and they don't want to face it. 
The starting point is knowing where you're at. It's simple math. You've got income coming in. Just write it down. Husband's jobs, wife's jobs, side gig, you know, whatever, wherever the, uh, wherever the money's coming in or retirement, uh, wh whatever, just write it down. Okay, it's this much money a month. What am I spending? It's this much money. Go, just go through your checkbook and figure if you're like old school and have an actual checkbook, if you have a computer online checkbook that you're doing, just go through it and, and look at, did I spend more money last month than what I made? Or what do I have left? I had $75 left. Okay, what are you going to do with that $75? You, you've got to start planning. You've got to know where you're at and you've got to start. And this is where, this is the element of where we're starting at. The other ones are like when we, when we leave and we're going to put our families first, but then we got to know, okay, I'm at a starting point. If you don't figure out the starting point, you're never going to figure out the end des destination. Does that make sense? Yes. Do it. <laughs> Figure out where you're at. All right. Now, once your budget is established, what do you do? Okay. I've got $75 left over. I've got $300 left over. My goodness. I'm spending, you know, $100 a month more than what we're making. Okay. You're slowly bleeding to death. You can only do that so long. Do you get that? Yeah. If you have $1,000 and you're bleeding $100 a month, uh, you're spending $100 more than what you're making, how long can you do this? Huh? 10 months. $1,000 and 100, isn't it 10? Yeah, so 10 months. What are you gonna do in month 11? You don't have the extra money. You're gonna revert to a credit card. Now you're gonna start creating debt, and uh, you may already have debt, and that's why it's so little. So once your budget is established, get out of high interest debt. There's uh, multiple ways you can do this. If you're heavy in debt and you want it, we can sit down privately and create a strategy for you. Uh, but some of the ways uh, are when we were in debt, I, I played a credit card roulette. Anybody know how to play that game? Yeah, transfer funds. Yeah. Oh, this one has a 0% interest for 18 months. I'm going to transfer this debt over to there and I pay as much as I could on for 18 months and then it's going to go up to, they're going to start charging me 23.9 or who's got another one? Oh, I'm going to transfer it over here and try to cut the cost down. There's multiple ways you can do it. And if you set your mind and heart or ask somebody who knows, um, then uh, you, you can probably figure out a way to get out of debt, but you got to get out of high interest rate debt. Uh, and you got to accumulate cash flowing assets. Now that's where a lot of people check out because, oh, I can't do that. I, I, you know, I'm renting, I can't buy a house. Well, there's other things that you can do and we're gonna talk about that today. So um, I wanna look at the cost of debt, which I, I was gonna say, and this is on a, a house mortgage because a lot of people don't really understand. So I, I created this chart and uh, uh, it's a, you bought a house for $300,000. I'm not counting down payments or something. I'm just talking about a loan of $300,000. It's at 4%. You can't get that today. So the numbers are worse today than they are on here. Uh, the payment would be $1,432.25. That is principal interest only. I didn't do taxes and insurance. So at the end of one year, the balance would be paid down from $300,000 to $294,716. And you paid $11,903 in interest. That is a effective rate of 4%. Okay? Now... The next year, because everybody say, I have a 4% mortgage, but you borrow money to purchase a house. You're still paying back the same money. 
So now your balance is lower and it's accumulating 4%, but the effective rate is 7.8% in the second year and 11.69 in the third year because you're, you're paying back the original amount of money that, you're, uh, that you borrowed, the original 300, so you don't get to count the 300 over again every single year. It's a one time that you, that you did for a, long, you know, for a long period of time. So this, your, your outstanding balance will go down every year, the interest paid will go down every year, but the effective rate will go up every year. Now this is why about every seven years, or uh, mortgage lenders, they try to get you to refinance because they want you back into year one. So that's why they don't care if uh, they give you a lower rate, because you might think, why in the world would my bank call me and offer me a lower rate? Because they understand math. So the longer you keep the house, and let's say you're very diligent, you don't ever refinance it, you pay it off in 30 years, uh, then you will have paid $215,610 in uh, uh, interest, which is 72% of what you bought, borrowed. You following me? Yeah. Now, you don't have to know the math on this. I'm just trying to visual, show you debt is a killer. Get out of debt. Okay, or, or if you're in debt, because I told you the other day, I've got debt, but all my debt is assigned with an asset that's paying for it. And I do rental, so the renters are paying for it. Okay, do you follow me? Someone turned $300,000 into $515,610 because somebody bought a liability that they thought was an asset. Because what's the difference between a liability and an asset? What? An asset makes money, and a liability, you're paying out money. Yeah, an asset makes you money. A liability costs you money. Our homes cost us money. Now, you can turn it into, like, you rent out a bedroom or something like that. You can offset and create some cash flow and different things. But just a person buying a home, living in the home, it is a liability because it's costing us money. Now, I'm not saying don't get one. In fact, I'm going to show whether you should or not in just a minute. Because uh, 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 the same thing, we bought our house. Uh, there's, you know, there's other benefits to it. I'm just talking math. And really what I'm trying to s stress is the behavior that we have, what we do with the dollar bills that come into our possession. Now, in this example right here, there's a lender and a buyer. Who had the asset and who had the liability? The lender had the asset and the homeowner had the liability because the lender turned his $300,000 into $515,000 and the, the homeowner paid $515,000. Okay, now the house may have appreciated and they may be able to get that money back or a good portion of that money back, but we're talking about assets, liability, what we're doing with our money. Now, let me give you a... a uh, a, a verse here. So uh, you got to, let me see her, uh, let me see your the microphone. Mom. Uh, your mom had it. I'm giving her the blue one, um, Andrew. All right, we're going to read uh, Deuteronomy 5, 15, 6. For the Lord thy God blesses thee as he promised thee, and thou shalt lend unto many nations. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait What? Thou shalt what? Lend unto many nations. Wait a minute. He didn't say buy a house? No, lend. 
he, he said, so, so we have a lender and we have a buyer. The lender had the asset and the buyer had the liability and God said, we shall what? So look at, look at the mindset of God. Go ahead and finish it. But thou shalt not borrow, and thou shalt reign over many nations, but thou shalt not reign over thee. They shall not reign over thee. Okay, read Deuteronomy 28 and 12. Now, Lord, oh, go ahead. The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven, to give the rain unto thy land in his season. And to bless all the work of thine hand, and thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. Okay, so two verses there that he talks about. This is God's perspective, God's word. He wants his people to be the lenders, not borrowers. Now, we have to get there, because if you don't have any cash right now, you obviously can't be a lender. And, and I wouldn't get in condemnation over that, but I'm trying to show you the heart of God. And this is why what happens is most people go, to, go into debt to get the things that they want, and they're borrowers their whole life, making other people rich. Have you ever noticed the banks have the biggest uh, buildings in town? Because are they the borrower or are they the lender? In fact, it's really a stupid s system because people will put their money in a savings account at the bank, you know, for like less than 1% or 1% and then turn around and borrow from the bank either on a credit card, a car loan or whatever for several points higher than that. Do you know what money you're borrowing? Your own. Because that's what banks do with deposits. Okay, so to buy or rent. There's actually a, a mathematical calculation which I got from a, uh, a tax attorney that uh, I follow. It's called the 5% rule. Everybody know the 5% rule? No? Okay. So basically this is how it works. Take the value of the property that you're living in and multiply it by 5% and then divide it by 12. Okay? Not hard math. Uh, if you had a calculator and you looked at your property and it was X amount of dollars, you put that amount times 5% divided 12 equals. And that would give you the answer. But I did it for you. So let's say you're living in a $300,000 house times 5% is $15,000, which represents per year. Divide that by 12, and it's a $1,250 rent payment. Okay, so if, now, how many knows that's not really possible in this market right now? If you're living in a $300,000 house, you're probably paying 15, 16, 17, maybe $1,800, depending on the neighborhood and everything. So uh, if you, in this scenario, if you're looking at it's a $300,000 house, and let's say you're paying $1,600 in rent, you're far better off buying than you are renting. Mom is a real estate agent. She can help you after service with that. And uh, okay, but if you're if but not <coughs> buying is not for everybody. If you're buying, uh, if you're living in a three hundred thousand dollar house, and you're paying a thousand dollars rent, it would not make sense to buy from a cash flow money management scenario, because the the all the costs compared, you know, factored out, is is telling you which one is cheaper for you. On a, on a long-term basis. So buying, you know, the American mindset is to buy, but uh, really what we should do is look at the math, okay? So uh, does that make sense? Now you don't have to memorize this equation. I'm just telling you there's a calculation to determine on whether you should buy or whether you should rent. Now, a lot of people will say, so, so let's say that you are paying $1,600 a month. That same person will say, well, I can't, afford or qualify to buy a house 
They've got a lot of things that they can do on getting people qualified. And if you're paying $1,600 in rent for a $300,000 house, it would be cheaper to buy the $300,000 house. And so, um, uh, so a lot of people, in fact, if you've ever thought about it and just, just got yourself thinking that you can't afford to talk to mom, she'll help you walk through it and figure out um, the scenarios on, um, uh, on buying. Now, there's also mindsets. And uh, so Peter and I first met each other. He was renting. So why don't you buy? I can't remember what he said. Uh, but I, I think he... I, you said what? No, I said you can't remember what I said, but thank God he can't remember. Yeah. And, uh, but he had an excuse. And uh, in his family, only one family member owned property. Is that correct? Yes. And in Latrice's family, nobody had ever owned property. Right. So now there's a cultural mindset in it. We, we don't... We don't buy property. And uh, I worked with you. How, how long did I work with you to, to get you to start looking? It's probably five years. Yeah. Uh, because, because that idea was uh, ingrained in him. Now he's looking at buying apartments and different things like that. But there was a shift in his thinking. Remember what I said from the beginning. Your mindset is driving what you're living in. And, uh, and we've got to pay attention. So uh, I already said this, so if it's below 5%, uh, rent, if it's above 5%, buy it. Go ahead. Well, just another question. I'm just curious about what your take on reverse mortgages. A lot of people have seen that. Okay. Uh, he asked what my take was on reverse mortgages. A reverse mortgage is where a lender gives you a percentage of the value of the house and pays you every month. And then when you die, they take the house. I don't like them. Uh, now, if a person doesn't have children or people that they're going to leave things to and stuff like that, Maybe it can make sense, but look at it from the lender standpoint that's doing the reverse mortgage. You may live for another 10, 15 years, and they're committing to pay you. They're not giving you the value of the house because they're going to make a profit at the end. They know they will get all their money back plus a very handsome profit, and so you've got to be very careful in doing the math. Now, if you're totally cash-strapped uh, and you don't want to move out of your house, maybe that's a reason, but I've never seen a scenario where it made sense to me. That's my opinion. Okay, now this is what happens in a household's family. Income, expenses, assets, and liabilities. All of us are the same. Now the numbers will be different, but basically what happens, the most common usage of income is it goes for paying expenses, right? We get our paycheck, we start writing checks to Edison, to the gas company, city of Icelia, the water company, maybe you're paying on taxes or something like that, uh, or you've got credit cards and you pay those expenses, and so there's a loop-de-loop your income goes into expenses, you get more income, goes into expenses, it goes more into it, and then we get stupid and we buy liabilities. Now, does anybody know what the most common thing that people buy where they lose money and it negatively affects their wealth? Cars. Cars is, cars is the worst thing. Not that it has to be bad, but number one, the, the salesman at the dealership is far better negotiator than you are. Okay, so, so you're, you're as good as you think you are, you ain't getting that car unless they're making the money they want to make. So, so they're only going to go so far. This is why um, when I bought my truck, I bought it through Costco. They gave me, I told them what I wanted. I put all the specs in it. They gave me a price. It was pre-negotiated price. I just walk into the dealership and they, if they're going to participate with Costco, they have to sell it to me at that price. When I bought it in May of 2020, um, they, Ford had a lot of... Uh, uh, what do you call those things? Rebates. 
on it. There was like two or three rebates that I got. So they, here's the price, here's the rebate, blah, blah, blah. Costco's price was still lower. And uh, so I took the Costco price. Uh, so you got to put the odds back in your favor. Drive them longer than what most people drive them. Uh, I don't know what the average is, but a lot of people like to turn over their cars and they roll over their upside down debt on another uh, vehicle. So it's more upside down. The, the dealership will accommodate you on that and help you work the numbers out uh, so that you're totally upside down on your car. Um, my, my rule of thumb is, and I'm going to violate here in just a minute on what I did, but my rule of thumb is uh, that never finance a car longer than three years. And people will say things like, well, I could never afford it on that. That's right. Don't buy that car. If you can't pay it off in three years, then don't do it. Why do I say three years? Because talking about a new car, once you drive it off the, the lot, you know, the value falls and you have a loan against it. Three years will keep you under the debt number. So if you run into a, a problem, you can sell it and get out of debt instead of getting it repossessed. Uh, Follow me? Okay, uh, leases, never do a lease. I like what Dave Ramsey says about leases. Leases are for people who don't understand math. You will never win on a lease. That's why dealerships try to push you into leases because there's big money they're making uh, in that. Never, never, never. People say, well, you know, I have the business. I'm going to do a lease. You don't understand math or taxes because this, you can, if you buy the car, you can still get deductions on it and do the same thing. Leases are not in your favor. Um, with excess money uh, or the creation of debt, liabilities are purchased which creates more expenses. And this is where people end up filing bankruptcy and so on and so forth, because they keep creating expenses on their American Express, their MasterCard, their Visa, their everything else alone. Then, they, then what's the average person do? They consolidate them to lo lower the business. They, I was in this game for a long time. Uh, you drop their pay, you consolidate, drop their payment down $200. You know what they will do in the next 60 days? Go get more debt, because now I can afford it again. And, and it's a cycle uh, that, that goes on. One of the games that we played, we did personal loans, and uh, this, this is just an amazing thing to me. It's like people don't know that Christmas comes every year. And, um, uh, and we would start calling people in November, and we would rewrite their loans, meaning we would just refinance it. Remember what I said about the mortgage? We want you to back at the beginning of the payments because that's where we're making the money. Hey, I got a great deal for you, Peter, uh, on that loan that I got. You know, you got your December payment coming up. We got Christmas next month. We're in November right now during this conversation. I said, why don't you just let me re rewrite this? I can give you $500. You won't have your December payment. You won't have a payment till January. Really? You can do that? Yeah, I do it every year. That's how we keep people in debt to us and, and keep them making payments. And so we, we have to understand the behavior and what we're doing. And most people, when it comes to loans, are just looking at the payment amount and can I afford it and not what is this going to cost me? And we should look at the cost of it and how I'm going to get out of it. Go ahead. Would that be the same as a dependent on a payment? Not, yeah. Would that be the same as a deferment on a car payment? No. People get into, um, uh, it, it kind of is, but it's very minor. So let's say you have a month that, that's kind of tough and you don't have the money for that payment. A lot of times they'll defer it. What the defer is, they'll take, what are we in, August right now? They'll take today's August payment and throw it at the end. So let's say your last payment was next year in November. Now it'll be next year in December. You will pay extra interest from doing that. But in a worst case scenario, like you're, you're up against a crunch, I wouldn't be really hardcore on that. If I needed to use it, I probably would, but it wouldn't be like my first choice. 
If you're doing it every six months, no, there's a bigger problem. Uh, you know what I mean? And so there are things most lenders are willing to help you because they don't want you to get in trouble because if you get in trouble, you file bankruptcy, they're going to lose their money. So they got gimmicks to work that, that will help, but it does cost you money. Um, Okay. An amortization of what? Personal loan rate. Okay, I don't really understand the, the question. Uh, an amortization schedule is just basically what your payments look like. Let's say you got a 36 months loan, it'll be 36 lines. That's the amortization, and it'll tell you your payment, how much goes to interest, and how much reduces, uh, how much goes to principal, and what your outstanding balance is. Now, the rate is going to be charged on who you get the money from, how good your credit is, and different things like that. Oh, that's true. Uh, if that didn't answer it, Latrice, it's because I didn't. I don't really understand where you're where you're trying to go on the question. She also said her grandfather owned his own home, but her parents did not own a home. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Very good. Okay. Um, so it, she did have somebody in in the family that owned a home. Uh, if, if any income is used for assets, and I put assets in quotes because a lot of times we really don't understand what assets are, it is typically for capital gain assets, the hope that something will go up. That's basically what people do in 401ks, traditional IRAs, and different things like that, is they're, trying, they're, they're hoping the value will go up. They, the 60 Minutes did an expose on the cost of, um, you can Google it and you can find it, it's on YouTube. I'd highly recommend it, it's only like a, a segment, so it's like, what, 13 minutes or something like that? But they go into the cost of what a 401k and a IRA really charges. And uh, the, the people don't understand, well, I have a no load. Yeah, you probably don't. I mean, it's a no load, but there's fees in there because uh, you know they're driving big cars and, and uh, living in Manhattan and stuff like that, making huge bonuses. So what we want or what we need to start with is cash flowing assets, something that's bringing money back into my house. And, uh, um, and we'll look at that in just a minute. Most who invest in qualified accounts, that would be like a traditional IRA and a Roth, um, and not Roth uh, accounts, uh, traditional IRAs, I don't know why I put not Roth, thinking they are lowering, oh, um, language is bad here, I guess, but most who invest in qualified accounts, so they select traditional IRAs and not Roths because they think they're lowering their taxes. Well, I want a traditional because if I'm going to put $2,000 in there, I can take $2,000 off on my taxes. Uh, where a Roth, you pay the taxes on the $2,000 and then you put it in. But every side-by-side -side illustration that I've seen is a Roth will produce better than a traditional because it grows tax-free. There's another element about a, a traditional IRA is when you reach a certain age, I think it's 65 or 67 or something like that, don't quote me on it, you have to start making minimum withdrawals. They want you to start paying the taxes back on the tax rate that they gave. What's that? 70 and a half. 70 and a half. So once you hit the 70 and a half, you have to start withdrawing money back out of it. Uh, once you get to 59 and a half, you can withdraw. It becomes taxable income to you, but, uh, uh, but you bypass the penalty. If you take money out of it before 59 and a half, there's a penalty. But a Roth, you can, uh, and I think at the 70 and a half, you have to, you're, you can no longer contribute to it. There's an age you have to stop contributing, and there's an age that you have to take money out of. But on a Roth, 
you can keep contributing on it for a much longer period of time and you never have to take the money out. So let's say you get up to, you know, 40 years old, you set up a Roth and you're building this money. And then when you get into your 60s, 70s retired, let's say you don't need the money and you want to leave it to heirs. You don't have to take it out. You can transfer it. And so you have a lot more options with the Roth. It grows tax-free. Everything in it is tax-free. And when you pull it out, you're not taxed the way you are on traditional IRAs. Yes? Uh, well, most Roths, you can start with 25 bucks. Uh, yeah, same thing with the traditional. I mean, um, it's not, uh, they just set it up like $25 a month. I think most of them, I think that's the minimum of it. Um, the, um, uh, the bigger problem is there's maximums that you can put into it. Uh, I don't keep up on that. It's like $7,000 a year. So. Well, it would be for you uh, because you're over 59 and a half. Uh, once you're over 59, well, actually, you can touch it anytime you want. You're just going to pay a 10% penalty if you're un over, under 59 and a half. Once you get to over 59 and a half, you can pull it out. Okay, Latrice has another question. Okay, Latrice has another question. Um, borrowing against retirement funds, yay or nay? Nay. Never borrow against a retirement fund. If you actually look at the statistics, there's actually a high percentage of people that do not pay them back in the time frame that they're created. <clears throat> which creates a lot of problems. And so it's never a good idea to, to uh, it also stops the growth of the fire retirement fund while you have the money, uh, the money's not growing on it. So it's never a good idea to, to borrow against a retirement fund. I can show you an entity setup where you can borrow against it and it will work and you won't be penalized for it, but that's, I'm not gonna go into that tonight. Uh, okay, Felix? No. Uh, right, because you paid that. that th that's where the power comes in. You pay the tax up front, which is only on 2000 but now you have 15000 and you pull it out and you're not taxed on it. It was able to grow tax free. So you say 2000 Is that the minimum? Or you have to no, it's like, no, the minimum is like $25 to start an account. Uh, but the maximum is like, how much? 7,500. Is that with the $1,000 uh, add-on if you're over 55? I think it is. So it's probably 6,500, but if you're over uh, 55, you can do an extra 1,000 as a, a catch-up provision. And so um, I, I know there's uh, an age thing in there where it jumps up 1,000, but I don't really keep up with them. But uh, yeah. Um, any other questions? Uh, no, you, you typically will open up a Roth with a 100%. Um, I don't like banks. Uh, their fees are too high. Uh, if anybody's actually interested in a, a qualified account, a Roth or a um, um, traditional, and he's going to try to push you into a Roth also because it's a better product. I, I know a guy I can give you his number. He's licensed in California. He's a Christian. Uh, went to Bible college. I uh, did a lot of missionary work, and, and he's a straight-up guy. I can give you his card, and you can give him a call. I'm not lying. I had my securities license, but I got rid of it because there's things I didn't like about it. Uh, but he's a straight-up person. But it would be through an investment company that basically has, like, mutual funds and things like that that you're going to invest in. Again, that idea is you're hoping for um, a, uh, a capital gain. You're hoping that it's higher when you retire than lower. Uh, true story a guy that was in the oil fields uh, in Texas, upper management, had a lot of money, and uh, he put in, he fully funded his retirement account, 
And then uh, he retired, and so he's looking at being set for the rest of his life. And then at 2000, in 2008, when everything crashed, he had a big, huge family thing, emergency, whatever, and he had to pull his money out while the market was down. And so he gave up a lot of money, uh, and here he was in upper management in the oil fields making a lot of money. Now he's driving Uber um, you know, to make ends meet. So that's the problem versus cash flow versus capital gains. When you need it, the market has to be up. If, um, if you look at 2008, I knew I should, I knew I should, I knew I should, that I just didn't do it. But when, every, when the market fell apart and all the, the prices on real estate, I thought, I, I've got to get me three or four houses. Uh, nobody wanted them because the market had dropped. But that's the best time to buy because they're cheaper. And I knew they'd turn around. Now, what most people do is they buy houses based on comp rates. And so, like, if you had a house and you're going to sell it, you'd go to mom and ask her, I'm thinking about selling my house. What could I get? And she's going to give you a comp price. She's going to look at comparable sales in the area, find out where your house probably will come into this based on sales that were around. And that's what most people look at. So when the, the market went like this, they're looking at comp. Man, I, this guy paid this much more and that much more. And now they're only worth this. No, I don't want to touch it. But investors look at cap rates. Cap rate is how much money you're, you're getting off of it. And the lower the price, the higher the cap rate. And so it's how you look at money and how you think. Uh, Warren Buffett said that, that when, when people are greedy, you should be fearful. And when people are fearful, you should be greedy. Because most people lose on, on investments and things because they buy on the emotional realm of what things are doing, not understanding uh, what is going on. So to gain financially is to focus on cash flowing assets. So, so if you, when, when the, we bought our house in 2005, 2005 and then, uh, then it, it just kept going up. 2006, it was higher. 2007, it was higher. I was thinking I was the smartest guy on uh, God's green earth. <laughs> then 2008 came and it went boom. And now we owe, you know, $100,000 less than we bought it for or whatever it was. Now I'm thinking I'm an idiot, you know. But Tammy comes and she's like, David, what are we going to do? Are we going to sell the house? And I said, well, do you not want to live here anymore? And she's like, no, I love the house. I said, then really, what, who cares what the price is? Okay, if you're renting it, because rents have value, it really doesn't matter what the price of the asset is doing as long as your rents are consistent because you're looking for cash flow. Uh, and, and that cash flow is a passive income, whereas if you sell it, it's a capital gains and, and you're going to walk into a lot of uh, a lot of taxes. So we're looking for cash flowing assets, especially to start off. So now I want to talk about the effects of inflation real quick. And like I said, you don't have to memorize this stuff. What I'm trying to do is get our eyes open to how money works. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So I put $770 in, in 2020. It says it's worth 909.47. So when it says it's worth, the value of money didn't go up. The value of money went down. So what you would have paid $770 for in 2020 now costs you $909.47. Or your purchasing power is equivalent to $909.47, whereas back in, seven, uh, back in 2020, it was $770. Does that make sense? All right. Now, I spoke uh, several years. If you've been with me, uh, do you guys remember me saying inflation's coming? You better prepare. Inflation's coming, you better prepare. Did you all prepare? Or did you just listen to me say inflation is coming, you better be prayer. You, you better prepare. 
You better pray too. I bought my truck with 0% financing. It was back when they had 0% financing, May of 2020. So the guy walks in and he says, because remember I just, I said I'm going to contradict myself. You should only buy a car uh, on a three-year term. He walks up to me and he says, well, how long do you want to finance it for? I said, well, how long can I? And I can't remember, I think it's 72 months or something like that. But it's 0% and I know inflation's coming. Okay? Are you following me? Because I'm going to pay cheaper on my truck because I know what's going to be happening coming up. And so if 770 is now equivalent to 909.47, then my payment is still 770 in 2020, but what is it today in value? Yeah, I'm not going to make you do the math. It's 630.53. Even though I, the, the purchasing power, when I gave them 770, and, and uh, I bought it in May, but my first payment was until August. Uh, so in August, I, I gave them 770, and at that time it was worth 770. But now when I give them 770, it's only worth 630. So what happens to the, um, to the extra, I don't know, how much is that? Who's good at math? Sergey, what's the difference between 770 and 630? $120. $120? $140. So what happened to the $140? It, I, I'm increasing $140 because I, I'm paying less for my truck. So in inflation, the winners in inflation is debt. But you don't just go out and get debt. You know, if you buy, if you, if you incur long-term debt knowing that inflation's coming, now that, you know, now people that have the old uh, loans that were like at 3 and 4%, don't, don't be trying to pay it off fast. Because you're saving money by paying them with cheaper dollars. Does that make sense? Okay, so again, you don't have to memorize this or know how to do this. What I'm saying is how we look at money. We don't pay attention to what we're doing. Money goes where it's treated best, and you should treat your money the best that it can find anywhere. All right, so do you want cash? Yes. Who said yes? You did. Yes. Okay. Most would say yes, even though I just showed you how you're losing money with cash. Okay, now we all want cash. Yes, we need cash coming in, but it's really what we do with the cash. So our cash has zero intrinsic value. What does intrinsic mean? Within itself. Within itself. That $20 bill that you have actually is worth nothing. In fact, if you really go in, you can go on YouTube and find it. Why is money debt? Uh, your money is debt. It's, it's, not, it's not value. The only thing that makes it value, valuable is that I can buy that thing from you for $20. You'll take it as a medium exchange. But it has no value. It's just paper. And you can thank uh, uh, Richard Nixon for that on August 13, 1971, when the money was backed by gold. Yeah. So you could walk in, take your $20 bill into a place, and you could get gold for it in exchange, which has intrinsic value. Thus, the paper money had intrinsic value because it represented gold. And then there were silver certificates, and it represented silver. Okay, now... Again, you don't have to memorize this. It's not like test information. What I'm doing is how you look at that $20 bill, you need to pay attention to it because that $20 bill, other than the fact that somebody will take it in exchange for some goods or services, it has no value. So would you rather have $100 cash or one share of ExxonMobil? ExxonMobil. 
Okay. Uh, but I, I, so I got three or four or five people say ExxonMobil, but most people would take the cash uh, because they understand cash. But now ExxonMobil, uh, so most, so the, the reality, so let's go back, let me go back here. Uh, ExxonMobil is around $100 a share. When you own a $100 bill and you have a $100 bill in your hand, it has no value. But you can't exchange it for something. When you own one share, you own a part of all the oil rigs, all the oil resources that ExxonMobil owns. So now you've just made your cash have intrinsic value. The share of stock is worth more than the, uh, the dollar bill, okay? Most feel safer with a fiat currency, fiat means it has no intrinsic value, a fiat currency in the bank losing money, guaranteed, you know, based on inflation or anything, than being the owner of a cash producing asset. Well, yeah, but my, my money's in the bank, it's guaranteed for up to $250,000, and I know it's there. Well, number one, you're a little bit overconfident on banks. There are 79 more banks that's been downgraded, so your money's not as safe in banks as what you actually think it is. But how many knows that ExxonMobil, the chances of them being here 10 years from now is pretty high. The chance of your bank being in here 10 years from now, it's iffy-iffy, because we've seen banks close. But, but again, what I'm trying to show is how we think about money. And, uh, and we, now, uh, ExxonMobil, I don't know what it is, but they do pay a dividend. I'm not advocating buy ExxonMobil. I've never, I may have bought it back in the history, but I don't <laughs> trade it. What's that? <laughs> oh, three months ago. How's it done? Okay, so he bought it three months ago. It has gone up 7%. And yeah, have you gone through a dividend cycle yet? No, not yet. Okay, but you're probably getting close to one then because uh, they typically pay out quarterly. So he'll get a dividend, like the bank pays you interest, they'll, they'll release a dividend. And uh, now that's called what? A cash flowing asset because it's paying a dividend. Okay, and then he's getting the, uh, the capital gains off of it also. Uh, which it can go down also, but you know, depending on why you're buying it and everything, it can be that. <laughs> it can go both ways. So, can you afford to buy cash flowing assets? How many like through this thought, man, this is too much. I don't know if I could do this. Anybody think that way? Like I don't, I don't have enough. Oh, y'all are ready to go, huh? <laughs> Let's buy. All right, good. So I'm going to give you an example here. Become a stock landlord. Maybe you don't have enough money to buy a rental house or a rental apartments or something like that, but become a stock landlord. So what is a stock landlord? Because a landlord, like if you're a landlord on a uh, rental property, your tenant is gonna pay you money, right? So again, you, you don't have to do this, just follow the concept of it, because I'm gonna get some math and I'm gonna say some things that you probably don't know. So EQT, I'm not endorsing EQT or telling you to buy that or anything like that, but it closed today at 42.99, which if you bought 100 shares of that stock, it would cost you $4,299, okay? Now it pays a 1.4% dividend, and let's say you wanna make a 15% return on your money. Remember I told you the other day that I, I make 24% on this one investment that I have. This is what I do. And so uh, it pays a 1.4% dividend. You wanna make 15% return on your money. So I'm gonna tell you something. Have you ever heard of the rule of 72? Okay, can you explain it? Oh, you worked in a bank. Okay, so you probably can't. No, I can't really explain it, but I have heard of the rule. It's compounding. Compounding 
okay? Um, the rule of 72, if you're going to make 15%, you, you take 15 and divide it into 72, and it will give you a 9.7 answer. That means it's going to take you 9.7 years to get your money back. So if you put $4,300 and you make the 15%, like as I showed you, in 9.7 years, you will have your full investment back and you'll still own 100 shares of stock. Does that make sense? Yes? Yeah. Does anybody not make sense? It's just a mathematical equation on how fast money, you can do it with any. If you're making 3% on your money, divide it into 72, it'll tell you how long it'll take. If you're making 100% uh, money, uh, it'll tell you how long you're making. You know, one year, that one was easy. All right, so to make now we need to make 13.6% because it pays a 1.4% uh, uh, dividend. Okay, so that, that equates down into, I put up a $4,300 investment, and so I need to make 13.6% or $48.73 a month. So I pulled up an options chart. And uh, the October 20th, now we're at uh, August 30th right here. Woo. Um, uh, it's a moth or something, big moth. Um, uh, You're talking months. We're in August. We're in August. So uh, this uh, option is, uh, expires October 20th. So not quite two months because we're 30. So it's like a month and three quarters or something like that. Uh, a $46 call option sells for $98, meaning that I will collect $98, okay, in, in uh, just, I, I need 40, where was my number at, $48, what's 48 and 48, or 49 and 49? 98, right? So in two months, or in the, like three quarters, I need that a month, so it's actually a little bit ahead, uh, I'm going to make $98. The only thing that can happen to me is the stock can go up or the stock can go down. As long as it doesn't go up beyond $46, I keep the $98, the option goes away. Uh, if it goes down, uh, my break-even point is 42.01. Even if it goes down, I'm not concerned unless it looks like it's gonna break before uh, below $41. And uh, I've made $98, that option goes away and I look at the next month's option and sell it. Now there's more to it, this strategy, I'm not teaching you how to do this strategy, this is a very shallow, but this is how it works. So now I've made, I'll collect the, um, uh, sell the options against it. So somebody may say, I can't do that! <laughs> you know, meaning they don't have enough money, you know, because it's, it's gonna take $4,300 to do it. So do it with a leap. Now a leap is just another form of an option, it's a long-term option. And you can buy a, a 43, because remember, uh, the stock closed at 42.99. That's like real close to 43, right? <coughs> $42.99 is real close to $43. So it's an at-the-money option that ex doesn't expire uh, until January 2025. So that's like, what, a year and a year plus away. And so I can do the exact same thing. I want a 15% return, which all I need now is $11.50 a month. Uh, oh, that leap only cost me $920 versus the $4,300. I'm still on the same stock. And so I, sell a, I can sell a September call for $16. Now, September uh, 15th is two weeks away, Friday? Two weeks from Friday? First, eight, uh, yeah, two weeks from Friday. And I can make $16. So that exceeds 15% in two weeks on an annualized basis. So what am I trying to do here, I'm, uh, my point? You can do this if you change the way you think. There's ways to do things even at low money 
where you can start building. Now, if I'm making that $16 in two weeks, that means I can probably make about $32 a month. And if I build that $32 a month, I can start buying other stocks or doing other things. And I can start building my wealth. So, so God, we, we throw into uh, the arena, God wants us to prosper. God wants us to be the head and not the tail. God wants us to be the lender and not the borrower. So it's, it's very easy, well, no, it's very simple, it's not necessarily easy, to make money. And then if you get God's blessings on you, 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 you know, and He'll bless you, uh, you can turn it into a larger amount. But you have to do something. A lot of people are sitting waiting for God to bless them, but they're not doing anything. And so, so we need to look at that. So what do you do from here? Because I'm going to close out the money thing, and then next week I'm going to talk about the heart uh, behind the matter. Uh, I'm going to rehearse a couple of things because I think they're really important. End-of-life documents. Get them in place. Oh, if I do that, then, then I'm jinxing my life and I'm going to die. No, you're not. Okay? Uh, you don't jinx your life by preparing. You actually enhance your life. So, so get over your fears. Uh, um, I have no qualms talking about dying or different things like that. Marissa said, Dad, I don't like you talking like that. It's like, yeah, but when I'm not here, you need to do this. And this is what I'm setting up. It's like, yeah, yeah, but just tell me what to do. You don't have to put the other part in. <laughs> and uh, get your end-of-life documents in place. Uh, get life insurance. Talk to me about it, uh, and we'll go over the various types and, and uh, see what's, uh, where it would best fit you. Um, Budget, if you haven't done it yet, get, find out where you're at and what you can do. And, and then start strategizing. Uh, if you need help, obviously, I, uh, I can help on things. Get rid of high interest rate debt. Stop overspending. So if you found out you're $75 over budget this month, you got to start cutting. You need to cut $175 so you can get some money to start doing something. Uh, stop charging if you don't pay it off monthly. Now, there's one element in here that I didn't really cover, but if now, and it's really not good for a lot of people because they don't pay their credit cards off. But like Costco card is a really good cash return card, and uh, so last year we got seven or eight hundred dollars from Costco just because we used their card. Now I pay it off every month, and uh, uh, so I don't pay any interest. But if you pay interest, it's not going to work. Um, and so I think, didn't you guys get more than that? Right now we're at 1100. So for this year, you're at 1100 cash back. So it goes January to, through December. So they're, they're going to, in like February, when they pay it, all they do is they walk in with this coupon, or it's on the phones now, I think, and take it up to the counter, and they just start counting out $100 bills, and they hand it to you. It's not taxable. Uh, there's no reporting fees on it. And they pay their credit cards off every month, so they're paying no interest on it. So instead of just paying cash, writing a check, Venmoing, Zelling, and everything else, put it on a credit card if you can, uh, like something like that. But only if you're diligent, disciplined enough to pay it off every month. Um, stop charging if you don't pay it off monthly. Start buying cash flow assets. And uh, I told you. Then there's the, the thing of insuring what you have, Gilbert, gold, silver, platinum, Bitcoin. Uh, people's asked me a lot about that. I'm a believer in that you should have uh, some form of these. Uh, gold and silver I really like. Uh, if everything breaks loose and it becomes really bad, it is a very, it's easy to liquidate. It's easy to barter with. And they say that back in the days of Jesus, that for one ounce of gold, a one ounce gold coin, he, you could buy a very high quality men's uh, outfit, uh, high quality leather belt, high quality leather shoes. 
Okay, well, gold right now, I don't know, 1900 and something, something like that. But if you went and bought a very nice suit, a very nice pair of shoes, and a very nice belt, it's going to cost you about the same. A lot of people will look at, wow, you know, gold was 1500 when I bought it, now it's 1900 I've made $400. No, you haven't because it's really a liability. You pay for it. It is an insurance policy that if things go haywire, you should have. It will protect your, your other wealth from losing value. Uh, the same thing, I would not play the crypto. Uh, there's all kinds of cryptos that come out and things like that, and people like to play them for game. For gain, you probably are going to end up losing overall. But Bitcoin has proven, and, and I've studied this out on rich people, uh, rich people are building a Bitcoin um, stash because you can easily walk into another country with Bitcoin because it's just on a, a drive or however you do it. I would recommend doing it on a drive. But it's very mobile. It's unregulated. Nobody knows that you have it. And it, it, it's, uh, it's been around long enough and has proven itself. Its blockchain elements and things have been very, uh, um, very well tested. And so, uh, but it's not, I, like I, based on what I've read about very rich people, every month I put a little bit in, I add a little bit to my Bitcoin, but I'm never going to spend it. I don't care what the price is. When I buy, I just buy it on the 15th of every month. And um, when I buy it, I don't care what the price is. I actually don't even look at the price. I just buy you know, a small amount of it, uh, put it in my storage, and then uh, move on from there because it's, it's an insurance policy against that. So um, here's what I can help you with, how I can help you if you need help. Uh, number, number one, if you're going to do anything in real estate, go talk to mom. She's a real estate agent. Um, if you want to do a, a um, Roth or tradition, you want to get an, uh, an IRA set up, <coughs> I would say talk to me first, but I'll give you Cliff's card and that you can call him. But I can help you determine if you need a will or a trust, uh, and I can show you an affordable way to do it. Uh, not everybody needs a trust, um, and if you have a trust, you don't really need a will, you need a pour over will, uh, but everybody needs a will, especially if you have any assets or you have minor children. Um, life insurance, like I said, I'm licensed in several states with life insurance, and um, today I wrote a policy for somebody over in Hawaii. So, uh, um, and, um, uh, I can show you a structure with guaranteed return in a tax-free environment. It really, you, you got to be like about 55 or younger in order to do it. Uh, it's a great thing, parents, when your kids turn 18. Uh, it works really, really sweet. If you're sitting on cash and don't know what to do, and this goes up to an age of 85, I can show you how you can get a guaranteed return on your money without any risk and in a tax-free environment if you use it that way. Obviously, I'm good at if you need to get out of debt, I can sit down budgeting and doing things like that to help you. All right, that's the end of my presentation. And like I said, next time I'm going to uh, talk more on the, uh, the Bible. We'll close this out with that. Uh, but anybody got any questions? Confused? No. Challenged? Um, for anything to happen, you have to start doing something. And that's where a lot of people um, really stagnate. They procrastinate and they don't do anything. Daryl? What, what is? The countries? Yeah. Is that going to affect us any? Man, the world is going crazy. I don't know. Um, the, uh, I mean, everything is so global now. Everything is, affects something in another way. But even if it affects something negatively, there's something else that happens positively. And that's where the statement that I said, money flows to where it's treated best. So 
if it affects something that it's like this is a you know shift over and do something this way and so yeah, I, I really don't know on that one. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I think it's smart to save it. You know, people say, well, I, I don't like that crypto stuff. But, you know, on July 1st, they passed a law called Fed now. They're trying to digitalize the dollar bill. So you better understand. Now, you don't have to understand all the blockchain stuff and everything like that. My goodness, that's confusing, at least to me. Uh, but you better understand uh, to somewhat uh, how this digital stuff works because they're really trying to push it and get rid of the dollar bill because they want to know everywhere you spend your money. And so, uh, so gold, silver, um, Bitcoin is advantageous in that because it's kind of off the record. Um, any other questions? Let's all, oh, go ahead. Going back to banks, why did they stop doing the interest on savings and checking? They used to, uh, back in the day, that's like 7 8%. Now it's barely 1%. Right. Well, one of the things is, remember when we were in low inflation and it actually went to negative inflation? So it wasn't profitable for the banks to do that. And so, uh, and, and typically anything that happens is that once they're making more money on, on something and it goes back the other way, they'll just capitalize on because people have been trained to do it. This is where I've said, don't be loyal to a bank. They're not loyal to you. If that bank's not giving it to me, but that bank will give me something, uh, then I'm gonna move over to that bank. And um, I got no loyalty to a bank because um, all they're trying to do is make money. I would never go to a bank and to their investment advisors. Their, pro their products are very expensive. Banks make a lot of money and uh, because the United States people has been trained to keep your money in a bank and there's much better ways to do things than in banks. And, but, but again, it comes back to how we think. It's hard to break that thinking channel of what we know what we're comfortable with. Any other questions? I don't understand your question. Um, because in the last days, you, you said in these times that we're living in to have cash on hand. Mm -hmm. But if they, they go well, to Well, okay, so what do you do with your cash on hand? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, so it, well, well anytime they do something, it's not like your cash is no longer good. They'll give like 30 days that they'll transfer things over and tell you, you know, make sure you, your money's in your checking account. So there, there's usually a lead up time. Go ahead. Yes, yeah, like when they confiscated gold and you know did things like that. Um, okay, if you want, let me give you another website uh, on money and the end times. Now, this guy is not a Christian. He's brilliant with money. He's an atheist, uh, but he's brilliant with money. And uh, his name's Porter Stanberry. Uh, a lot of the financial stuff. I've read a lot of his stuff. I've, I've, I've uh, watched a lot of his stuff. Um, the two T W O men.com now what he goes through it's it it's a sales pitch okay that's what it's going to end up being but that's not what i'm telling you to watch you'll see when it shifts when he starts talking about some investment things but he's not going to give you enough information that you can do anything he wants you to sign up for his investment advisory but the um 
Yeah, and uh, uh, Andrew, can you look up real quick and make sure that I got the right one? Because I think that's what it's called. I'm going off memory. Just verify that it's, and I think it is because it actually says women in there. And it threw me off at one time. So I think, so I, yeah, so, so I thought that uh, it was it. But, uh, but, the, but the first part of it, and again, like the videos that I told you on Sunday, watch it with a mindset of what the Bible talks about in Revelations. And the first half of it, he goes through and talks about what's going on. Now, in your news and what everybody talks about, they talk about George Soros and they talk about, but those aren't the two men that, what he talks about here, they're the ones that's controlling all this stuff. All the other, talk, that's why I don't listen uh, to all these talking head podcasters and stuff like that, because all they're doing is repeating the news. Uh, this is like what's actually going on underneath the ground. Is that correct? Okay, so it's a correct website. And uh, so the first half, you can watch the whole thing if you want. I'm not saying you can't watch it. I'm just saying that you'll see when he shifts into uh, positions and stocks, but the first part of it, and it's probably 20, 30 minutes or something like that, but listen to him with, and you're going to find out who the two people are that's really pushing all the, the agenda of things that are going on, this ESG, uh, which is now being shifted, and uh, the media, and how they're all on the same page, and, and it's, it's powerful people, and not too many people are really looking at them. And so let's stand. So I'd recommend you, you look at that, but, but when you watch it, don't just get sucked in. He, he's a good salesman, too. You know, I, I'm, I'm talking about the first part of it, where it's, it's talking about these two men. So, uh, all right, we done with questions? Okay, who said that? Okay. Um, how important is it to have a treasure, you know, the, uh, is it teaser or, you know, text the info? Okay, so what she's talking about is, there's, in crypto, it's called wallets. And, uh, like, everybody heard of Coinbase? Yeah. Coinbase is a wallet. And you can buy money and you can store it on the wallet. You can pay for things. You can send it to people. You can add to it. And you can put all your money there. But Coinbase is a corporation. So I'll tell you the story on mine. I had my money in a, uh, a similar company. It's called Voyager. Okay, and Voyager went bankrupt. And now all of a sudden, even though the crypto was mine, I had no access to the blockchain. I didn't know how in the world to get it on there. So uh, I lost the money, went through bankruptcy. Then they did come back and they restored, I think about 30% of it. Now, uh, what was good was a few months before that, I decided to take my money out and just leave a little bit in there. So I think I lost 300 bucks or something like that. It wasn't that big of a deal. If I had a wallet that was offline, which is like a, a USB drive, it looks a little bit different. When you buy, like I, I buy through Coinbase right now, and when I buy, then I transfer it over to a, a wallet that I can stick in my pocket. So now if Coinbase goes bankrupt, it doesn't affect me because all I got to do is plug this in and go through somebody else and, and do it. So um, it was hard for me to learn this on how to do it. But, uh, uh, <clears throat> but now I've got everything stored in a wallet. And uh, um, I, I think that's very important, especially a friend of mine uh, who we, we kind of bounce things off each other. Uh, he had a uh, like nearly 30 grand in crypto when, uh, and in Voyager also. So uh, he, he got some of it back, which brought him almost back up to his cost basis, but he lost a lot of profit because uh, he was keeping it on Voyager, same thing. So if you do look at that, then um, I, I would suggest uh, having your own wallet. How, how often do you do it? Every time you put something in, 
That would be basically you. I, I buy in small amounts, uh, so I don't do it every single time. I do it every two or three times uh, just because I'm lazy that way. But even if they go bankrupt or something, I'm not going to lose very much money. Right now, I'm only buying $25 a month. So if I go three months, it's 75 bucks. So I'm, I'm not really concerned about 75 bucks. Um, any other questions? All right. I'll call you blessed. Lord, help us. Lord, we want to walk in your blessings. We want to be good stewards, Lord, over what you place in our hands. We want to multiply, Lord, what you have given to us. Help us to understand this. Help us to seek understanding, Lord Jesus. And be willing to do what it takes to change the dynamics of where we're at. In Jesus' name, amen.